add my welcome to you all this morning on this uh, Sunday before Thanksgiving. I know that uh, some of you will be traveling, some of you will have loved ones and friends with you. What a, it's a great, great holiday, one of our favorites. My name is Greg Dernberger, and I'm also one of the elders of Emmaus Road Church and the senior pastor, and it's a joy to welcome you to worship with us today. And I want to invite you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles or your electronic devices, however um, you bring the word with you today, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 marks an ending to one of the sweetest passages in all scripture, the section that began in John chapter 13, verse 1, with the words of Jesus, with the words, having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. And then... Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, John records some of the most extraordinary and encouraging and tender, loving things that Jesus ever said. If you have trusted Jesus and want to know how much he loves, then revisit what he has said here in these chapters again and again and again. If you want to know how much Jesus loves you, Look again and again at what happens in John chapters 18 and 19, which we will be looking at over the next couple weeks. And if you want to know how much Jesus loves you, then listen carefully now to the prayer that he he prays here in John 17. For, For right now, only 12 hours or so from the cross, this is... Jesus' expression of his heart for you. Give your attention to what he says, what he prays as I read John 17. I read all 26 verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them. And have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. 
I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you've given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the prayer of our Lord Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Let's treasure these Words together. Pray with me. Father. Thank you that we can call you. Father. Thanks that that's not just a a title. Or a, a word. That it is a reality. You father. Your people. 
who in your sovereign grace have called out of the world and given them to your son. Today we enjoy on this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection the sweet gift of your fatherhood. And we enjoy by your grace and because of Christ through the Holy Spirit a love this world knows not of. I pray that you'd bless us with a fresh awareness of it today. Make the love with which you have loved the Son That same love poured into our hearts. Something that's more than just a compelling idea, but a profound and transforming and encouraging and comforting and sustaining and life-giving reality. Do this, Lord, for your glory, we ask. In the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So the Lord Jesus is a loving Savior, right? God so loved the world that He gave His his only Son. As Jesus walked this earth and looked at people, His heart was consistently full and overflowing with love and compassion. He saw people as they were. He noticed the harassed, the helpless, the vulnerable, the unprotected. At at one place where um, He had an unobstructed view of the city of Jerusalem, his affection for the souls in that place, that geographical location. He's got the best of him and he, and he wept. He felt it. Jesus loves the world. Jesus loves the lost. But, Jesus does not love Everyone in the world the same. Jesus loves his own with unique and special love. Jesus has a peculiar relationship of love toward those who believe in him. There is a, there is a precious and powerful and particular love that Jesus has for those who are in him. Whom the Father has given to him and have been forgiven and cleansed by him whose sins have been atoned for through his death. There is an intimacy, there is a closeness, there is a union that is special because in the sovereign will of God they belong to him. He's their father, they're his children. And this precious and particular love It's not limited to those 11 guys who were with Jesus on the night in that upper room. All who belong to Jesus are objects of this special, precious, particular love. And and that heart of love is seen um, uniquely and it's on full display right here in this prayer. This is just hours now before the greatest display of expression of Jesus' love for his own, namely the cross. Is it's a, a window is opened in this prayer into Jesus' loving heart for his people. So my outline here is going to be, I think, pretty simple. Um, I want to aim to just answer three questions from this text. One, who is Jesus praying for? Two, What is Jesus praying for? 
and three. Why? What's the reason Jesus prays as he does in John 17? So here's the first question. Who is Jesus praying for here in this text? And as I said, clearly, he is not praying for everybody. According to verse 9, Jesus says, I am praying for them. Who's them? And the them that Jesus is praying for are those whom God, according to his sovereign grace and authority over all, has called to be his own. And he has given them to Jesus. Look at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And then again in verse 9. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. In other words... I'm praying specifically right now for all those who are mine. And that's, that's, again, it's not referring only to the 11 dudes there that are listening in on this prayer. Those are mine, who are mine, refers also to all the others who have, at that point in time, turned and trusted Jesus. So, he's, he's praying for all who are true believers. He's interceding for all those who are true disciples. But there are more he's praying for. And that's clear in verse 20 when he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is he's also praying for Future believers, those who will believe. It's, it's as if Jesus is, is kind of looking out. He sees, he sees the world. He sees history stretched out before him. It's, it's like a, looking out on a range of hills in the distance. And, and then beyond that range of hills, there's another range. And beyond that range, there's yet another range. And, and another and another and so on and so forth. And these ranges of hills are would be representative of the decades and the centuries that are to come after his death and resurrection. And they also represent all the people who someday will turn and will trust in him. So, in John 17, Jesus is praying for certainly the 11 believers who are there in the room with him. He's praying for the other believers who at that time were probably scattered around Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and that region. And he's also praying for all who are true believers. Listen, all who are true believers today. And all who will believe and entrust themselves to him in the rest of the 21st century And beyond. So friends, if you are a true believer, true and sincere believer in Jesus, now think about this. Let this just settle on you. On the night 
before Jesus died, he saw you in the distance. He saw you, he saw your new birth, he saw your faith in the distance, and he prayed this prayer of John 17 for you. So who is Jesus praying for? He he is praying John 17 for all who belong to him everywhere and who at all times will believe in him. That's the first question. Here's the second. What is Jesus praying? Um, What requests are Jesus bringing to the Father for his own? I want to draw your attention to three things I see him praying for here. And the first is this. Jesus prays that, that God will keep believers in faithfulness to the truth he has revealed to them. We've been following the Gospel of John now for about a year. We started this on Christmas Sunday a year ago. And and we have seen over and over again how Jesus has communicated the truth of who God is to people. Truths that about who God is for us in the person of Christ. And Jesus is praying that these dimensions of God's glory and His beauty that Christ has revealed to us in His life, God's going to keep us in the good of those truths. Through Jesus, God has revealed Him who He is for the joy of His people. Now look at verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in Your name. The name which you gave to me, the name which I communicated to them, the name which I have revealed, all that you are, so that they may be one, even as we are one. Look at, go back just to verse 6, John 17, verse 6. I have manifested, communicated, revealed, I have manifested your name, the glory of who you are, To the people whom you gave me out of the world. Verse 8. I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them. Come to know in truth that I came from you. Verse 11. Keep them in your name. Which you've given to me. That they may may be one. Even as we are one. So loved ones. through, Through Jesus. God has manifested, he has communicated himself and all that he is for us. In God there is fullness of joy. He's just new wine. In God there is satisfaction for heart hunger. That emptiness that we feel. That emptiness that is there. God has communicated, manifested himself through Jesus that he is the satisfaction for that. In God there is A quenching for soul thirst. That's what Jesus has communicated to us. In God there are rivers of living water. In God there is resurrection and eternal life. In God there is power. There's power to do the works of Jesus. In in God, through Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness of sin, atonement, 
blessing of freedom from guilt and shame. In God, there's fruitfulness. In God, there is comfort and peace that this world knows not of. That's what God has communicated of Himself through the person and the words and the teaching and the instruction and the the display through His Son, Jesus Christ. And loved ones, Jesus knows... He knows that for each and every one of His own people, there will be times, there are times and seasons and occasions of remarkable temptation when all, all that God has revealed Himself to be for us in Christ Jesus will grow strangely dim. Whether it's the challenges of parenting, The hard work of marriage maintenance. The endurance of chronic pain or the sadness of shattered dreams. Jesus knows. He knows it all. He knows that at some point we all will say, Yes, Jesus, you did manifest the truth about who God is. Yes, Jesus, you you have given me God's word and God's promises. But right now, I'm so tired. Right now, I feel there's no way out. Right now, I see no light at the end of the tunnel. And loved ones, Jesus, on that night before he died, he prayed for you and for me. Father, keep them. Sustain them. Hold them fast in your name. In that glorious name that I have put on display. All of it. Keep them in it. In the truth of who you have revealed yourself to be. For them. In and through me. And one of the. um, Remarkable results of that loving prayer. Is that when God does. Keep us in the truth of all that he is for us in the person of Jesus. The body of Christian believers will be unified. This relationship between God the Father and God the Son, it is one of a a very profound, deep, abiding oneness. And that relationship between the Father and the Son, it, it is intended to be a pattern set for us. And that remarkable oneness is actually achieved. Not as as a result of some sentimental resolve to get along. Come on, everybody. Be nice. (laughs) Be respectful. Be unified. That, That lasts about... lasts about as long as it takes for the next conflict to shake everything up again. Our unity, instead, is achieved through a God-supplied, a God-provided, a God-sustained perseverance in the truth of who He is, which Christ has revealed. That's what makes us one. And that's what protects and preserves the unity of the church. And loved ones, that's what Jesus prays for. There's a second thing he prays. He prays that 
that God will protect believers from the spiritual dangers of living in the world. As disciples of Jesus, we've, we've said it before, we are in enemy territory. It's a dangerous journey that we're on. Verses 14, 15, Jesus prays, I, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but, here it is, that you keep them from the evil one. So, the, the dangers that we face as Christians living in this world, they are real and they are serious in, in spite of the fact that well, probably the majority of the dangers that you and I face in our cultural situation are probably more subtle. Our existence uh, as believers in this world, it's, it's kind of like being on an airplane where there's lots of people who are coughing, sneezing. Um, apart from God sustaining His sustaining and protecting grace, we will likely catch something. You see, there's a, a real spiritual danger of compromising your allegiance and loyalty to Jesus Christ. That's real. There is a very real spiritual danger of so trivializing your integrity as a Christ follower. There is a very real spiritual danger of compromising your purity. There is a very real spiritual danger of, of marginalizing your soul in the face of all the other pressing concerns and all the other more immediate satisfying concerns. There's always something that gets our attention. There's always something that calls us to this and to that. And, and, and the temptation is to marginalize the well-being, the maintenance of the well-being of your soul. Do you ever feel that? There is a very real spiritual danger of exchanging the care for and the maintenance of your soul's well-being for doing stuff. Good stuff but stuff that contributes absolutely nothing to your spiritual well-being. And further, there is a very real enemy, a personal spiritual enemy of your soul whose singular aim is to make an end to your faith. And into this spiritual reality, Jesus prays, verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. But even though we are not of the world, we are in the world. We're on the plane with all those germs. And loved ones, that's just where Jesus means for us to be. Look at verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Verse 15, 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world. And then verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So, it's where he wants us. And in light of that, what's our calling? What is our mission? What's our task? Well, the Christian's task is not to withdraw from the world. Neither is the Christian's task to blend in with the world. The Christian's task is to be distinctive in the world. Faithfully witnessing with our words to the truth about Christ. Faithfully bearing witness with our lives and our relationships with each other. I mean, that's the real testing ground, right? It's, it's how we relate to each other. To the transforming power of the gospel. That's where the Lord wants us to be. He wants you in that workplace. He wants you in that neighborhood. He wants you in that challenging spot. The Christian life is inherently dangerous. And in this life, we are not afforded the danger-avoiding luxury of blending in. We're not afforded the danger-avoiding luxury of disengagement. We are called to distinction in the world. And that is is dangerous. The world has and will hate those who are not of it any less than it has and does, continues to hate Jesus for not being of it. But as sure as the Christian life is dangerous, if you're following Christ, just as certain is your spiritual safety. Why? It's because Jesus prayed that God would protect you from the spiritual dangers in this world. And the prayers of God's own beloved Son will certainly be answered just as He asked them. There's a third thing that Jesus prayed, draw your attention to, and that is that, that, that God would sanctify believers. Praise that God would sanctify believers. See it in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus, um, he's using the word sanctify in a little different way than we usually use this term. We talk about sanctification, big 50 cent theological word that has to do with, it refers to this progressive change and transformation that takes place in the, the character and the maturity of true believers as they grow more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus. If there's true spiritual life, we'll grow up into Christ. That's sanctification. It, it's, it's based on the grace of God, but it's acted out and accomplished as we work it out in reliance upon God's grace. But here, Jesus isn't using that word that way. He's using this word in a different sense, and it's a more definitive sense. He means set them apart. Set them radically apart for a mission. Set them radically apart for a purpose. 
Dedicate them, Father. Consecrate them, Father. Sanctify them, Father. That means that, that it, is, it means to be reserved for and set apart for God and for God's purpose. That's what Jesus prays for all those who are His. He's praying that God would mark them and commission them. What's that mean? Here's what I think it means. It means that if you are set apart, then your life is not determined by other things. Your life is now determined by being set apart. Your life is not controlled by somebody else. So, so ask yourself this. Uh, what, what determines my life? What really determines the way I live? What, de- what determines my decisions? What determines the way I spend my money? The way I spend my time? Is it my choices that determines my time? My spending? My relationships? H- has your... Your personal ambition or your personal dream or your personal view about your vocation or your personal view about your family that has been elevated to a higher place than being set apart for God by Christ. Loved ones, if you're a believer, then Jesus has prayed something for you. It's the will of Jesus, it's the will of God that your life be dedicated to something. Your, and your prayer, um, my prayer, every morning, I think should be something kind of like this. Uh, oh God, I belong to you. I've been bought with a price. My life's not my own. I, I belong to you. And so, Father, today... I want to see things in terms of the way you have set me apart. I want to do things in a way that is marked by the way in which and for which you've set me apart. I want to live life today under this mark of dedication to you. And loved ones, pray also that God would open your eyes to see the things that are, in fact, controlling your life. And as he opens your eyes to that, ask, seek, knock, that he would set you free from those things in order to live for Christ. Don't don't live for anything else. Live for Christ. And how is he going to help us do that? (laughs) A rather tall task. Well, he he prays, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So as, as we hear and we respond with honesty and integrity to God's word, God will be answering this prayer and helping us to live a life that is set apart. So Jesus prays. 
He prays that God would keep believers faithful in that truth of, of all that he is as he is, it's been revealed in the person and work of Jesus. He prays that God would protect believers from the spiritual dangers of living in this world. He prays that God would sanctify, that God would, would mark them, make them a people so radically dedicated wholly to his purposes. One more question. Why? Why does Jesus pray these things? Yeah, there's reasons for this prayer tucked all over this prayer. <laughs> a lot of so that's, in order that's, and so on and so forth. Like verse 13. In order that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus is praying that, our, that, that we would experience the fulfillment of all of the joy he feels. That's why he's praying these things. Verse 26. In order that the love with which you have loved me may actually be in them. He's praying all this to the end that that the love that the Father has for the Son, that very love would be in us. Jesus is praying these things because he wants us to be experiencing in us, the fulfillment of his joy. He wants us to experience in us the very love that he's experiencing. He's praying... What greater thing could he be praying for? Nevertheless, as lavish and as audacious those blessings are, the fullness of Jesus' joy, the love of God for the Son poured into our hearts, yet there is an even more ultimate purpose for why Jesus prays these things. The reason Jesus is praying these things for us is that God would get glory in the full accomplishment of his purposes. Think carefully about this with me for for just a second. God's ultimate purposes. That's what Jesus is aiming at. And, And God's ultimate purposes are summed up I believe in verses 21 and 23. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you've loved me. So so God's purpose, God's desire, God's aim is for people to believe And to have life through Jesus Christ. So that he gets all the glory. That's the purpose which God has for his son. That people might believe and have eternal life. Look at verse 3. Jesus says, this is eternal life. (laughs) That they know you, the only true God. So you see, the, the, the greatest good that God offers to us, the greatest good offered to us by God is God Himself. It's a relationship with God Himself. That's the greatest source of joy and fullness and soul satisfaction and 
sweetness and peace and blessing. The greatest good offered to us by God is a relationship with himself through Jesus Christ in whom is our life and joy and fullness and soul satisfaction. So to know God, to know Christ, loved ones, that's eternal life. And Jesus' desire is for all, all his own to receive this eternal life so that God would get the glory. John 17, verse 2, I think Jesus here really unlocks the ultimate reason for his prayer. Father, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. There it is. Since you've given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. And then verse 24, saying it almost exactly the same way, a little differently. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Why? To what end? So that they can see my glory, the glory that you've given to me. Ultimate purpose. Jesus is praying for us. It's so that God would be glorified. God would be honored. God would be treasured in our experience of eternal life in him. That the pleasure of knowing God, the pleasure of knowing Christ as infinitely glorious would be experienced by more and more and more people. Ultimately by all who are His. That's the goal. And so Jesus prays, Father, keep believers faithful. Faithful to Christ. Jesus prays that God would protect believers while they're in this world. Jesus prays that God would sanctify believers. Set them apart. And as those things happen, as God answers those prayers, those in the world who belong to Jesus but have not yet trusted in Jesus, believed in Him, that they would trust in Him and they would believe and would be given eternal life to God's glory and for the endless joy of all those who believe in Him. Let's pray. Certainly, Lord, we we need you to lift up our attention to higher things, greater things, more glorious things. It's that gravitational pull all the time. Um, It is a great spiritual danger. And so we're looking to you, Father. We're looking to you, Lord Jesus. We're looking to you, Lord Jesus. And the prayer that you have prayed We trust that you continue to pray as you intercede at the right hand of the Father. Keep us. Keep us trusting faithfully in all that the Father has shown himself to be. Keep us. Restrain us from sin and and drifting. Restrain that and intensify our devotion to you and our devotion to care, looking well after the well-being of our own souls and intensify that work of 
keeping us mindful that we are a, we're a people meant to be set apart in this world. What a, what a, again, a gravitational pull there is for us to just blend in, be like everybody else. Lord, we ask that the things that Jesus prayed for on that night before he died would be fulfilled, answered, completed in us so that others might believe and trust in you and so that you would be glorified. Hold us, keep us, help us to remain in you, we ask. For the glory of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together.